The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 33, The Demons That Haunt Us, Part 2. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all your restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who've experienced them, and share them with you, right here. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories or haunted locations, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightoutpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. I couldn't be more excited about the episode you're about to hear, but I feel it's important to give you all a heads up that in this series, more than previous ones, we touch on several important and sensitive topics including mental health, addiction, domestic violence, and abuse. The stories, opinions, and healing practices expressed by the subjects or the Night Owl team are not meant to be taken as authoritative or professional endorsements or recommendations when it comes to the causes, interventions, and or solutions or treatments surrounding mental health, addiction, or abuse. After fleeing their home for a week, Luna and her two children now return to their home where unexplained activity has plagued them for the last seven years. Disturbing sightings, unsettling sounds foul odors, and more upsetting, physical attacks are just a few of the paranormal experiences Luna, Finn, and Shiloh have had to live with. After conducting my first phone interview with Luna, which you heard in the previous episode, it was revealed to me that there were a lot of layers to this residential haunting. Layers I still wanted to peel back and shed light on before attempting an actual investigation of the home with my team. There were elements of this case that were red flags and warnings that we needed to heed. Being prepared for this particular case was crucial. I decided I needed to hear from other members of the household before diving into a potentially dangerous investigation. Dangerous in that we have a family who is frightened to even be in their home, but we also have activity that's pointing to a malevolent presence, perhaps even demonic, a term that I use sparingly in this work. With the help of my occult specialist Alexis, we now invite Luna and her teenage son to come to my residence so we can gather testimony from Finn and see if we can uncover anything else that could better prepare us for what we are about to jump into. Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online, a convenient, accessible, and affordable solution for your therapy needs. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver. Get unstuck with BetterHelp. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash nightowl. That's betterhelp.com slash nightowl. Start living a better life today. If you aren't already a Patreon supporter, please consider joining at patreon.com slash the Night Owl podcast. In exchange for a small monthly donation, you gain access to exclusive videos, audio, interviews, behind the scenes, live streams with myself, Sarah, and Alexis, venue walkthroughs, and more. A quick call to action to our Night Owl family out there. We're trying to expand our show so we can produce more episodes and travel with our team to new cities and even new states. You can help us achieve this by simply doing the following four things. Follow or subscribe to our show on your podcast listening app. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a review. And lastly, share your love for the show on social media. We appreciate your support. And lastly, we now have our new Night Out True Ghost Stories tees and glow-in-the-dark stickers on our online shop. Head on over to thenightowlpodcast.com and grab a new shirt and sticker before they all disappear this spooky season. Uh. 
It was Sunday, May 16th, when Luna and her teenage son Finn arrived at my house. I had already briefed Alexis on what I'd learned from Luna's initial phone interview. We knew that the family had moved back into their home recently and had begun demolishing their hallway bathroom because they believed whatever was in their home was somehow tied to that space. At this point, the sun had already set and I set up my mic on the back patio table. I wanted to get an update from Luna in person first, but I wanted Alexis to take Finn inside and just begin chatting with him off the record to see what Finn might share and what Alexis might glean from this one-on-one. When those two were finally inside, I got a full update from Luna. So we all feel most uncomfortable in that bathroom area. That's where most of the main events have occurred. And I've never liked it in there. I mean, even on a practical level, it always has a weird smell in there. It's It always feels dank. When they finished it out, it's just very outdated. So just all of those elements combined. But a friend of mine, she claims to be sensitive and she keeps telling me over the phone she's on the east coast she keeps saying it's in the bathroom something's in the bathroom i think that's where it is and i kind of agreed with her and i just told my pops i said i'm not going back in that house until i rip that thing out and he said i agree we all just kind of felt the same inclination and as soon as we got back to the house we just started ripping it up and it's felt great to do that and i'm glad we did because we found a lot of rotted wood and just a lot of unsavory things in there that nobody should be living in. So that's been good. Since that's happened, we're still in the process of doing it. Actually, when Finn and I were leaving the house, some guys came over to take the tub out. So now we can start removing the wall that's in there. I thought I was crazy because that night when I really did a lot of demo, I heard some noise in the attic. My initial thought was that it was, well, I thought it was my son because the kitchen is on the other side of the bathroom. And I thought, no, it wasn't that far. And then my head thought, because he has a wooden bunk bed. And sometimes when he shifts on it or puts the dogs on the bed, you can hear the wood moving against the wall. But that was on my right side. And clearly the noise was coming from much farther away on the opposite side of the, the room and up high. So I thought, well, maybe there's a raccoon or an a possum in my attic, but the sound was too heavy. Like it would have to be like four of them. And it was like, you know, and it didn't sound like scurrying. It sounded like falling, trampling. And I texted my son and I said, did you hear, was that you? And he, I thought that was you. And we were trying to figure out what it was. And he thought it was a burglar. And I said, well, why would a burglar be in the attic? How did they get in the attic? So we both sort of just decided that it was that we pissed something off. And I told him, I'm not afraid. And he said, I'm not afraid either. And so I just went to bed. That next morning, my daughter had an experience but didn't tell me because she didn't want me to think that she was scared of anything. And it wasn't until I was demoing back in the bathroom and she came in she goes you know how you started destroying the bathroom I said yeah and she goes well I heard some talking in the in the other bathroom now she doesn't want to go in there and she's never afraid to go in the back bathroom which is almost basically adjacent to the current bathroom that we're destroying and I asked her about the voices and she said it sounded like they were coming from the ceiling I said, okay, and she said there was lots of them. She said that there were some that were deep, some that weren't, and some in the middle was how she described it. And I said, okay, well, can you tell me what they were saying? 
And are you sure they weren't maybe outside like the neighbors? And she said, no, she kept pointing in the same spot where I basically heard the trampling noise. And she said that they were laughing and she couldn't understand the words that they were saying. And I said, well, laughing's not bad. And she goes, well, I think they were plotting. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, I said, if, it, if they were laughing and they didn't say anything to you, then it's okay, it's fine. She goes, yeah, I didn't want to be scared. So I just came to bed and waited till you woke up. That's about it, aside from just having the pain that I normally have is coming back. I was gone for a week-ish, and I, it just all went away. And I felt like I was in real remission. And it was like clockwork. After a day in there, boom, my right knee was throbbing. My stomach was hurting, and I didn't do anything too terrible before I started experiencing back pain because I probably would have just chalked it up to demo, but it started hurting before the demo. So, and it still hurts, not as much anymore, but at home, it just, I almost can't stand up at certain points. So I've been stretching a lot and trying to work around it, but I don't want to jump to the conclusion and blame every ailment or every thing I hear, every sensation on something that's in the house. The one thing that happened this morning, it was very bizarre. I woke up and I opened my bedroom door and the horrible smell that I always smell in the house was so pungent, but it wasn't in my bedroom. And I was kind of pissed off. I was like, oh, you know, where is it coming from? And um, I could smell it in the whole house. And so I just ignored it and decided I would light some incense, went to the dryer, got my stuff out of the dryer, started walking it to the living room on the couch to fold it and by the time I started folding it the smell was gone so noticeably to where I stopped folding my clothes and I walked through the whole house a crazy woman sniffing and smelling everywhere and I couldn't smell it and it made absolutely no sense so I went back into the bedroom thinking maybe I was nose blind and I was in there for a minute and I came back out and I smelled and I couldn't smell it and I can't stress how intense this smell was. When it's that bad, the way I initially smelled it this morning, it seems like it takes forever, like days, to get it out. And I'll have to open all the windows and burn all kinds of candles and things. And even then it's always like, I feel like I'm masking it. And I asked my daughter if she smelled it and she said, no, I don't smell anything. And I asked Finn and my dad if they smelled anything when they got up and they said, no, everything smelled normal. That was noticeable to me. I said, maybe it's coming from the bathroom. No, because that had a different horrible smell. Because <laughs> the, the wood was rotting. And once we exposed all of that, it had more of a just like an old cellar smell in yeah. there. As opposed to when I walked initially in the house, it smells like excrement and old death and just stale. Just just this this stench that I feel like if I breathe it in, it's going to be stuck in the in the back of my sinuses and I can't get it out so but it was it was gone almost as soon as as soon as I noticed it as far as the bathroom goes beyond that I mean the sickest I've ever been in my life aside from having cancer has been when that was my main bathroom it's always like that was where all the autoimmune stuff you know just amped up. I think I always had some underlying situation with my stomach and when I moved there it was like boom and I was diagnosed right away and it just seemed to never get better and I'll be in that bathroom just well not anymore but in the past I've been in that I've like lived in that bathroom just vomiting and laying in the fetal position in that bathtub 
waiting for the misery to go away and it doesn't you know but I'll I'll get to the point where I feel well enough that I can at least make it to my bed and just hope that I fall asleep and it's it's been constant in the house and I'll only have these moments of of being healthy but it's very few and far between and it's usually when I don't spend a lot of time in the house and I didn't have I didn't come to these conclusions until looking back and look trying to assess well what is it to the point where I hired somebody to check the mold and mildew and I hired exterminators to come check out I mean I just I try to figure out every logical anytime I have these terrible migraines I always check the allergy count you know like I I feel like there's always going to be a logical explanation but it's just too consistent being there I didn't want to scare Luna but what she shared with me just now and knowing what I know about renovations and the effect they have in documented hauntings I was worried about her quick action of demoing their hallway bathroom before doing some research and allowing us to investigate. If there was something strong tied to this space, and it was in fact a negative energy or spirit, destroying where it potentially hid and lived was not going to help Luna or her family. It might in fact do the opposite. It might force it out of hiding, aggravate it, and lead to more attacks. But I refrain from sharing any of this at the moment because Alexis was now bringing Finn out to join his mother and I on the patio. It was time to hear from him and see what incidents he would further validate that his mother had already shared with us, but also see if he was going to reveal more that we had yet to uncover. My name's Finn, 17. One of my first experiences were was when um I was just coming out of the bathroom and we had this hat rack next to the front door. And as soon as I look towards the front door one of the hats comes flying off the hat rack and it didn't look like it just fell like it had velocity and it went across the hallway the first thing I knew to do was to go tell someone and I didn't for a few days until a mom brought up one of her experiences and after a while I think a lot of the activity kind of kicked up more. When we started looking into things more, it got more aggressive. Around that time I was in middle school and there was this uh, incident on Shoal Creek that I was present for. And after that, I always felt like something or someone was following me until I finally made contact with him and uh mom and i did a lot of research and digging and found we actually found his dad and who his dad was and as soon as we found more and more on him and a lot more research more and more activity started there was more knocking i remember a lot of walking in the hallway and dining room and there was a lot of not physical contact but kind of poking at me like cold breezes on the back of my neck like someone taking a breath on me or a tug on my sheet or even uh, saying my name. The activity was never in one spot. It was always everywhere around the house. I feel like there's almost always been a constant flow of different things coming in and out of the house. 
especially with a lot of the, um, I don't know, portals. We always saw, like, when we looked out our doors, we always saw things coming out, coming out of the bathroom and down the hallway. These portals, do you feel you know where they might be? I know for sure where almost every single portal is. When Finn admitted this, my eyes quickly darted to Luna, who was sitting directly beside her son. Her mouth had opened and her eyes widened. She had not known Finn could sense exactly where each of these portals were. Luna looked at me too and we both understood without words what she had just realized. I didn't interrupt Finn, I just let him continue. There's one in the bathroom. There's one close to the ceiling in the dining room. There's one in my closet. And I want to say there's one further in the back of the house or somewhere close to the bathroom portal. I don't want to... It doesn't feel like a portal. It just feels like something's there. I know things can pass through it. Are you visually able to see anything or it's all just feeling? It's all just feeling every time. In those rooms, it's always a pain either in the stomach, the chest, or this weird spot in between my shoulder blade and my spine. And it feels just electricity is just sitting there. It's when I'm close to one of the portals, always. Or when I'm close to something very strong. After Shoal Creek, I, I just picked up on those things a lot easier. Like, I used to brush it off and not really mind much, but now I'm a lot more alert about those things, and I can pinpoint if it's abnormal in any way. Finn only briefly alluded to it just now, but Luna shared in her phone interview that you heard in the previous episode to the incident at Shoal Creek. Something had happened there to Finn when he was 11 years old. Something that was life-altering and traumatic. It was early on in this interview, and I wasn't sure if I even wanted to go there tonight with him, so I didn't press for more. I wanted to let Finn guide this conversation, wherever he wanted to take it. And he navigated to the scary attack that happened to him in the hallway bathroom. I can't quite remember how old I was, or how long ago this was. It's one of those memories that I knows there, but I've kind of blocked out the details. It was around three or four in the morning, and I couldn't sleep. I was just tossing and turning the whole time. So I put some music on, like, a small tablet that I had, and I went to the bathroom, and I sat down just to sit and listen. I started getting really, really lightheaded and woozy, and then after that, I passed out, and I woke up hitting my head and landing on my back, and I didn't know what happened because I was sitting on the toilet like two seconds ago and it took me a second to piece everything together because my head was facing the doorway and my feet were towards the toilet. My tablet was on the ground and uh, my headphones looked like they tried to follow me. And when I woke up, I could not breathe at all. And that's when uh, mom came over and ran over to me. It really felt like the attack was just random. I feel like it was waiting for anything to walk in there so it could just kind of take out its anger. I believe there always been something in that bathroom, even before we moved in, because the little cabinet, when you walk in, I always have to close it when I walk in, and no one feels comfortable around it. 
even people that don't live in our house, like they'll walk in, use that bathroom, and always, they just don't like it. Any more physical attacks, feelings of attacks, like physical markings, anything else other than that? Um, I was taking a bath and on my upper thigh, on my left, it started really burning a lot. And I didn't like scratch myself and the water wasn't too hot and I didn't have anything to burn me in there. I stared at it expecting like there to be a burn mark that was there from a while ago. I don't know, maybe I burned myself on the stove. And when I looked, I watched the scratch form on my leg, but I took a picture of it and uh, got out of the bath right then and there and went and showed mom. I think a few months before that, I was sleeping on the couch instead of my room because we were moving all the furniture around. For those few days, I kept waking up with more and more scratches on me. It started on my arms and it wasn't ever like big scratches. It was always little ones all on my arms. And then it moved down to my chest and stomach and then it was on my neck. and. I slept on the couch the night after, and it just stopped. I feel bad because I, maybe that's why I don't remember half of what he said to me, because I was trying to diminish it, and I was trying to say it was probably the dog. or Yeah. So that's probably why I don't remember all of them. And then has scratching continued, or has it just been those isolated incidents there? Only those isolated incidents. Now, because she's not here, and obviously we don't want to frighten her, she's younger in age, with your younger sister, has she ever confided in you with anything, or have you ever had a joint experience together, or has she just come and told you she's seen something or had something happen before? Yeah. When we were in the living room, when our couch was facing the pocket doors, we would always see these little black things like kind of going into a corner. It was just kind of something that happened and I thought it was just me and mom seeing it. But when we were sitting on the couch watching cartoons, she pointed at them and told me and it, it took me a second to process what she said. She just pointed in the corner and said bug. There was no bug there <laughs> except in the every time in the corner of your eye when you were watching the TV, it was always there. To me, they just look like little black balls on the floor sliding to the to that corner. It, it doesn't even look like they're walking or scurrying there. It looks like they're just being pulled in. I see the opposite. I see them scurrying out. Like I said, lately, I've been so frustrated that I've just been trying to pretend it's not there, and I've been trying to diminish anything that pops up. Um, but that's why I feel like the more I have done that, the worse it's gotten. Usually when I'm in there, I have to listen to something because I will, he I will hear things or see things. I feel like someone's behind me all the time, but they're not because that's where my other bathroom is. And I'll see things out of the corner of my eye in my peripheral vision. Or sometimes I'll, things in, my, in that room will move. And I just tell myself to cope because I have to stay in there late. I'll just tell myself, oh, I didn't place something on a on a surface and it fell or things like that. Um, but it happens often enough to where uh, I either question my sanity or something's in there with me. I've seen a little black thing. 
it looks like a cat and I see it in that room a lot so it, I don't feel anything bad from it so I just sometimes I'll say hey and that's it you know and I just go back to doing what I'm doing I find solace in listening to music or books on tape or interviews and things like that podcasts while I'm working because it kind of drowns out anything I will hear or get distracted by the night we did the demo and the two consecutive nights all three of them I had a, like small but notable experiences um, the first night it sounded like someone tripped or fell on a bunch of boards in the attic but I could tell it was more above mom's room later our closet in the hallway goes up to the attic and it sounded like someone fell down it which really put me off and actually after that I got my dog I checked around the house to see if anyone was in the house and I even checked the closet because it really sounded like someone just fell down and then the next day, I was in the room demoing on my own while uh, mom and grandpa were taking a break. And I heard whispering in the room, but it didn't sound like it was somewhere in the room. It just sounded like the room was whispering. And then that night, there were more noises in the attic. And I stayed up late that night because I just don't want to go to bed. <laughs> And it sounded like someone fell into the closet twice that night, which was really bizarre. And that third night, I haven't even told mom this yet, I was playing my games and it sounded like someone was whispering at my door. And the curtain in front of my door was closed. I didn't even want to get up and look and check. Did it sound like one voice? Two. Every time it was two voices talking to each other. It was always a conversation between the two. In the second time it happened, it felt like they were plotting. Here was another moment I glanced at Luna to see her eyes wide and mouth open in surprise. Finn just mentioned as he began to recount this incident that he had not told his mom this yet. Minutes before, while he was inside with Alexis, Luna opened up about how her daughter had heard voices laughing in the attic, and she used the word plotting to describe how they sounded. The first time it happened, it felt like they were either meeting for the first time or meeting each other again. And I still could, I, I, could, I couldn't tell what either of them were saying. That's exactly what my daughter said when she heard the voices laughing in the bathroom. That made me feel so gross. Your sister said they're plotting something. That really puts me on edge. We just now discovered something. Following the recent bathroom demolition, Finn and his sister Shiloh have had separate yet eerily similar experiences. They both heard multiple voices, and they both used the same exact word to describe what the voices sounded like. Plotting. From the look on Luna's face, and hearing the surprise in Finn's voice when we revealed to him his sister's encounter, I saw a genuine surprise in both mother and son and didn't feel that there was deception or foul play here. But if it was true, that meant my theory about the bathroom demo was unfortunately correct. What they may have done is stirred up things, displaced one or more possible spirits in the house, 
and these said spirits could very well be agitated and plotting what their next attack might be. Stay tuned, and after this short break, we'll dive deeper into this new discovery. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp Therapy Online. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash That's betterhelp.com slash Therapy can be a great tool for dealing with life struggles. It can be a solution for those needing to unload stress or deal with emotional struggles such as anxiety and depression, many of which we are not equipped with the knowledge or skills to handle ourselves. So why try to fight these battles alone when there's someone out there trained to help you through these seemingly insurmountable obstacles? I certainly am no stranger to life's challenges and understand how, for many people, the stress and difficulty of these emotional and trying times can be a bit much to handle on our own. Navigating these struggles without the help of a professional is quite frankly very difficult and unnecessary. There are educated and trained professionals out there who know what you are facing and, more importantly, know how to help. I myself have sought out therapy to help with a personal crisis, and it's exactly what I needed to help cope with my struggles, find ways to work through them, and provide the hope that I needed to move forward. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, whether it be for personal healing, to unload unwanted stress, or relief from any of life's constant roadblocks, why not let BetterHelp Therapy Online help you start living the life you deserve? It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. After filling out a brief survey, you'll be matched with a licensed therapist to help you with your specific needs, and therapists can be switched at any time. No waiting rooms, no traffic, and no endless searching for the right therapist. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash nightowl today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash nightowl and start living a better life today. Prior to demoing the bathroom, had there been any attic experiences? No, I've never had anything in the attic. The next day after the first demo, that morning I was awake. But in this house, when I wake up, my body feels so exhausted and tired. I can't move. I have to, like, recoup. But I'll be wide awake in the morning, so I'll be kind of going over how I'm going to do my routine. And so I remember my eyes were still kind of closed and I was laying there and I was listening to my my dad and my daughter talking in the hallway and I heard a voice and I've never heard voices in this house so this is why it bothered me I heard a voice kind of talk through them if that makes sense because I could hear them blah, blah 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 and then I heard this voice say Luna come on but it wasn't it sounded like when you slow down a recording and it's goes like that it sounded like that. And I remember my initial reaction was like, no, fuck you. <laughs> I'm not getting up. You know, that's how I felt. I, Cause I'm so fed up. I'm so exhausted. I was very defiant and I didn't acknowledge it. I just didn't, I just ignored it. But it was, a, and it was very clear to me and I knew it wasn't my father and I knew it wasn't my daughter. I, it didn't frighten me. It didn't frighten me, but it was very clear. What gender again, would you say the voice was? Male for certain. Can you kind of go through some of those experiences and say, like, just in general, if you had to guess, what would be your gut instinct for, like, male, female, or not even one of those things? Like, it just felt like a thing. I picture it as, like, a weird, hunched-over, bony, scraggly thing. And it would have, you know, human-like body, but it would clearly not be human. And 
the more I've been thinking about it, because I've continued to think about that since we've been talking, since we talked about it, I don't know, I've just been piecing it more and more together of what it probably maybe would look like. It would be, it would look starved, like it's, you could see its ribs, and it would be black and shiny, not human whatsoever, and hungry. It just feels like it needs or wants something, and it's mad at us for it. I don't know about visuals, but that hungry description resonates with me because I always feel drained. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm a shell of myself. Like, I feel like I'm being fed off of, if that makes sense. I remember for a few months, I haven't told anyone this, but for a few months, I felt like I was just kind of along for the ride for my own life. Like I, I felt like a spectator of my own existence because I was so drained all the time. I never felt like me. During that time, Mom and I would argue constantly. It was constant bickering, constant fighting. A lot of the times it got bad, like stuff getting thrown. It was like that with my ex, too. And he even, he didn't hit me or anything, but he got physical with me. And that's not, at least for the, the decade that I've known him, he never got physical. And we never fought the way that we we fought in that house. I I would, I strongly feel that that house destroyed our relationship. Like I wouldn't even, I've gotten into bad arguments with my father too, Um I've seen his drinking really bad there. And yeah, the way that we fight, it's not normal to me. And we're always fine when we're not in the house. We don't ever fight outside of the house. We actually have a really great time. We crack each other up. It's very joyous to be around my kids outside of the house. But it's almost like it's, as soon as we get in there, you know, and I broke a chair. I didn't throw it at him. <laughs> but I, I was so, I've never been so angry Except for when the first time I ever got pregnant, <laughs> my hormones were so crazy. I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be angry. But in this house, I, it was almost like it's not me. Like, I can't control the anger. I have to really concentrate. And that's why it was it intrigued me that you didn't mention that you, it, you felt like something has persuaded your emotions because... You've he's you've come to me before. Even when you smudge, you'll say, "I just need to smudge because I feel very like something's affecting my mood." You're always telling me something's affecting your mood. I'm always telling him it's hormones, Finn, and he says, "No, no, it's not that. It's something." And he also had some things that we talked about. Uh, he said like noises, uh, specifically knockings. So a significant time before the demo, a lot more activity kicked up from the bathroom situation. Before we even pinpointed it was the bathroom, my little sister and I, we both heard knocking, like three knocks in the hallway. And we told mom and she tried to brush it off. She brushed it off because I don't, I don't even blame her. For the longest time, she's wanted a non-haunted house. And that was one of the main criteria we were looking for when we bought this house. Two other times before all that, I heard knocks and walking in the hallway. And it's always out of the house, never, never into the house. I can tell that it starts at the front door. It walks down the hallway into the dining room and then into the kitchen and out the back door. And that happened for like three, four nights. And then it went away. 
I've always reacted to experiences with like a dismiss dismissive stamp, and if it's like consistent and if it's like purposely poking at me, I'll get to the point where I'm stern and I just tell it not to, to stop and don't. I remember I kept hearing on my computer and I kept hearing walking in the hallway and I got so annoyed that I turned around and I, I said, can you fucking not? <laughs> and it stopped the rest of the night. It was really funny. So like, so what you're doing is absolutely correct, but acknowledge it. It's yeah. good too, because we don't know what kind of energy is in your home yet. So if it's, if it is... Here's a good example. Let's say it's just a spirit that's lost and has no idea what's going on. They're just as lost as you are. Yeah. If they're not getting the acknowledgement at all, that's just going to set them off to want to do more. So that's why it's just like acknowledge it. Like you could even say, heard it, gotcha, moving I on. You know. Yeah. Back to the um, migration thing. I think the first day after demo, I was cleaning the living room. And mom and I always talk about it like when it's somewhere or it's active the room always smells terrible like it's always either a rotting smell or just shit and when i was cleaning that room that smell just filled the room and then it went away like five seconds later and then later i went in the hallway and then it smelled like shit in there and then it felt like it was running around the house confused because the bathroom was gone or it was getting destroyed. Cause then I smelled it in the in the kitchen, in my room. I don't know if it happened in mom's room because I didn't really go in there that day. Yeah, that just further solidified that experience. One of my favorite experiences in the the house or at the house was when I saw a girl in a white gown, like a old it was like a gown and a dress because it was really fancy, but looked really comfortable. I saw her walking left to right in front of our house. And then mom saw it, her walking, if you were standing in the house, left to right into the house, but not, but like through the house. And years before either of us saw that, one of my really good friends that lives, that lived on that street longer than us, he said that there was a girl in a white nightgown that walked up and down the street. I always like brushed it off like it was some old, you know, thing that his parents told him to so he doesn't stay out too late. I was in the yard when I saw her. Yeah, but walking I, in the garage. I remember when I saw her, I thought she was beautiful. It was very peaceful when I saw her. At this moment, Finn stepped inside to use the bathroom and get some water. So I took this opportunity with him away to ask Luna about the Shoal Creek incident that he'd experienced many years ago. I don't want to hear yet when we talk about it, but I'm a little concerned about Shoal Creek. Yeah, it was pretty awful. And I don't know much about that, and I don't want to ask him, but I yeah. would like to know more from you if you're able to yeah, tell me. Yeah, I can tell you. Um, oh, he's very open about it. I'm sure if you ask him, he'll tell you. If you can recall, in the previous episode, Luna briefly shared a story referred to as the Shoal Creek incident, where Finn witnessed a young boy's death. It happened when Finn was around 11 years old. I didn't want to bring up any bad memories for Finn, but Luna insisted that he was okay to talk about it. My concern regarding this investigation was I felt that was a significant experience for Finn at such a young age. Luna had also mentioned that following the incident, Finn claimed to have a spirit of a boy follow him for the following couple of years after the incident. 
I felt it was important to learn more about this spirit that Finn communicated with and seemed to have a connection with following this traumatic event. And Finn was willing to share. And just to be clear, the spirit that latched on to Finn at the incident was not the spirit of the young boy he witnessed die. It was the spirit he believed to be tied to a graveyard near Shoal Creek that Finn and his friends were on their way to visit. Yeah, and as far as your friend that you saw, that you mentioned from the Shoal Creek incident, yeah, we looked things up and we found some things that we felt could strongly correlate with what he was telling me, but I never got to too much of concrete information about it without probably going to the library or something, but... Mm. Without a doubt, I think it was him. What, wait, we found... What? I, without oh. a doubt, in my mind. I don't remember we, I think we name. found his dad. Yeah, I forgot his name, too. <laughs> but he would... He would talk to me. And it was really weird because it felt like my head was conjuring thoughts that weren't mine. It, it's really weird. Like, it's, it's one thing to, you know, hear about it, but then experiencing it is so bizarre. Because for the first few days, I thought I was crazy. And then it, I finally, you know, pieced it together when I had legitimate conversations with my own head. I feel like I was just in the right place at the right time, and he kind of just decided to follow me for a while. And after, I think, a year or two... Yeah, I mean, he was around. You talked about him a lot. Yeah. For a while, for like a year or so. And he would tell me about conversations that they had, and I'd be like, what? <laughs> I just listened to him. I didn't say that he it wasn't real or not, but they were pretty detailed things. And even things that, I mean, I don't know if you remember anything that you told me, but. I don't. Because <laughs> I, I, I told you, I said, ask him why he's. Maybe he wants something from you, and he said that you told you said you asked him later, and you said, "Oh yeah, mom." Brian. Brian, that's, that's right. That's what he. That's what he Brian. called himself to me. That he said he asked him why he was hanging around if he was because he, he knew he was dead. Why didn't he go somewhere? And he said you said that he wanted to. He was watching things. And he he yeah. was curious or something. He. I really, really, really liked his outlook on death and how he was still stuck here. He didn't see it as a curse. He saw it more as a gift. Now, he saw it as now he gets to watch everything because I believe to them time is very relative and they can kind of pick and choose where they go. And he said that he could get a lot of answers to a lot of questions that he's had his whole life. And after that, like after he left, I didn't miss him because I knew that he was happy with what he was doing. It's not even traumatizing. It was just very, very jarring because it was after I kind of thought about that situation a lot. I just got it to boil down to that's how things are. Finn then decided to recount the tragic incident he witnessed in Shoal Creek. So, my friends and I were walking in the creek, and we always had this, like, cluster of rocks in the middle of the water that we always sat on or around. And this girl comes down from her house to let out her little brother's uh, pet hedgehog to let it walk around and eat and stuff. And she was talking to us. We passed around the hedgehog. It was all cute. And then um, her mom came home, and uh, she invited us and all our friends 
to walk the dogs down to the cemetery. And there was the spot where when you go in the creek, you get to walk down into the woods and then there's a spot in the fence where you can get in to the cemetery. As we were in the woods walking the dogs, some of the kids up at the house were having a play date. Halfway to the cemetery, we all hear one of the kids yell he's dead and my first instinct was to bolt directly towards the house and the mom and I were the first two people to get there. When I go back there, I don't know how I scaled that, how any of us scaled that so fast. And we got up there and the kid's uh, neck was stuck in the automatic gate and it was closed around him. And passerbys came and tried to help. They got the fire department. And I think as I was sprinting down the uh, woods, that's when I think Brian attached to me. Because personally, I think he could tell that that was about to be a very, uh, that was a huge turning point in my life where a lot of things happened and he wanted to watch that but he also wanted to know me i felt like a show to him but it wasn't in any way offensive but after that like he he actually pointed things out to me and said oh that's not normal that's that's paranormal uh one night mom and i got into got into a pretty heated fight and I was freaking out in my room. She was in her room and I went into the kitchen because I felt like there was something in my room like coming at me, but it was around me. A lot of that time, I felt like some I was wearing someone, but they were kind of leeching off of me. Really bizarre feeling like, like it felt like someone's arm was in my arm and I could feel their hand in mine. Same with my back and my legs and the back of my head. It's, I've never felt it again, ever. And that night I was sitting on the kitchen floor like bawling and trying to regroup myself while it felt like hundreds of people were yelling at in my head to go run out into the street and get hit by something. And that night where mom when mom was sick on the uh on the bed they were telling me to attack her and kill her and i knew that wasn't my head because i've never had that kind of thought about doing any of that to my mother ever and as soon as those thoughts started rolling in i broke down and went to mom to be comforted yeah and that was a lot because i was freaking out i didn't know what was happening in my body and he like came over and started crying and hugging me and saying i love you i wouldn't hurt you and and i just didn't know how to process it i felt very powerless mostly because i couldn't see what my kids were telling me that they were you know they were I couldn't see it. I'd had my experiences, but I mean, what do you do other than what people tell you or you read, you know, burn this, say this prayer, buy holy water. It just, it doesn't seem like it's enough. When I've called people to help that say, oh, I'm a healer or I this or I that, um, 
nine times out of ten, they never respond. So I'll go out. I'm I'm open-minded enough to say, okay, if I need to call a priest, I'll call a priest. If I need to get some chick to sing Kumbaya in my living room, just whatever you need to do, I'll do it. It's, it's nothing's working. I'm going to sing Kumbaya. <laughs> Uh, no, we're going to look at this and figure out as best as we can. Obviously, we can make the most educated guess we can. Mm-hmm. It's never going to yeah. be 100% fact because this world is... That world, the world of the unknown, is just that. Right? Layered. It's layered. It's it's deceiving. It's never certain. But mm-hmm. I feel confident with a lot of the cases we've been on that we've been able to help the clients to a very strong degree. They learn to either live and cope with what's there and sometimes it's a misconception of what's there. Sometimes it's a matter of this thing needs to move on and they didn't know they needed to move on and they were lost. Mm -hmm. In this instance, I'm curious where you are at with your perception of, and again, this is a guess. I know it's intuition Mm -hmm. and it's okay if it's wrong. We're not really judging that, but I need to base my investigation off of what you, people that are living there, and that's been there the longest, what do you think is going on? Like, what, what is your heart and what is your gut telling you is going on in that house? Honestly, I think it's a lot of different things that are there. I think that there, I think maybe things are attracted to us or me or my son or the, the house something that's there I think things are attracted because I will see different things or I'll have different experiences and sometimes I don't ever see them again there are some things I see consistently and I have a feeling that the old man that used to live there might still be there or he comes and goes I have this sense of him not moving on and at first I didn't really sense him. I swore I maybe did sense him, but I didn't know it was him. Cause I, I never, I sometimes still feel like I'm sharing this space with somebody, or I think often a lot about the previous tenants and I've never lived anywhere where I've thought about that, which is interesting to me. You got to spend some time inside the house with him during the time I was talking with Luna outside first. After the interview and we talked about like his experiences, obviously that traumatic experience he witnessed when he was around 11 years old at Shoal Creek. What were you thinking about regarding that whole experience that night? What was interesting about his experience in Shoal Creek is I I can't help but feel like that, the minute he started talking about this this person that connected to him, it made me think that he definitely has some abilities as a medium. And he has the ability to channel a spirit in this case, the spirit kind of came to him and he was able to channel his own spirit that way. And I think he's more so clairaudient than clairvoyant, so he's able to actually hear the spirits more so than see them. Maybe, you know, a little clairsentient as well in the sense that he can feel them. But it's more so about hearing them. Uh, and that makes also sense with the situations that have been happening in his house because it's mostly hearing things, hearing noises, hearing scratches, hearing knocks. And then, of course, um, the clairsentients being like feeling like there's something in the room or smelling, you know, things along those lines. After seeing the boy that he saw pass away, his awareness as far as like knowing, like, I guess learning about death that age in such a traumatic way, I don't know if you could sense, but he seemed to have a really good, like kind of higher intelligence level of understanding of that death and how he wasn't, he even expressed how he didn't feel traumatized from it because the boy 
was there afterward and kind of like having conversations and and kind of easing out of his life as opposed to just like him witnessing that and that was all he saw. Yes, exactly. And what's interesting about that is, you know, in modern spiritism, they talk about this like when you have a ghost experience, when you have a spiritual experience, usually there's a reason for it. So a lot of the times if you go back and think about that time that you had a spiritual experience, there could be a reason why that happened. So in this case, with Finn, you know, we have we have Brian who came to him specifically in this moment and possibly because he knew that in this moment he was about to witness something that maybe his mind couldn't comprehend or maybe he was not ready to comprehend in this this facing of a child's death. So the spirit essentially was there to help him to ease his mind and explain to him, you know, death isn't the end. I'm a spirit. I'm here. I'm able to do these things and see these things and go and visit people and, and, and people watch, etc. So in the, in a sense, it was almost like it kind of like softened the blow for him to understand what death is. I agreed with Alexis. With the experience at Shoal Creek, the spirit of Brian following him years after, and the amount of activity he'd experienced to date, I believe that Finn had some level of psychic ability. And that ability might be contributing to the high number of unexplained and frightening things happening in this household over the last seven years. If you're familiar with the show and my team, you know of my psychic friend Sarah. She's been an incredible asset, and I knew now that it was time to get her involved in this case. However, at the time of this case, I was actually juggling helping two families in need. Luna was one of these families, however, there was another mother who had reached out slightly before Luna with strangely similar activity and concerns. This mother, too, had a teenager who was having scary sightings and occurrences. I was in a tough place because Luna's case felt more urgent, to be honest. The other family was also on the fence with what was going on and weren't comfortable with a full investigation or my whole team getting involved. So before I made the decision to fully dedicate our time to one case or the other, I needed to give Sarah a call and get her initial impressions. And for the record, she had no knowledge of anything about either of these cases. Um, so what's going on is, obviously, you know, I've been trying to get back into the groove of things. It's been slow. It's not been easy. But I'll be honest, I've been getting a lot more spiritual, a lot, praying a lot, asking for guidance. And then something's been nudging me from the spirit realm, God, whatever you want to call it. Like, get back into this, do something, help somebody. And I've been not really wanting to do a public case. I don't want to do like a restaurant or a bar I do want to eventually, but for some reason I'm feeling like this calling to do something for someone, like a family or something. And it's weird because I got an email last week or a week and a half ago. We met through your show. You did a case on our venue, and I have a friend that's kind of in a situation where they need some help. You know, it turns out kids are involved. If there's any type of chance that they could be scared or in danger, we want to elevate a case to just do something for that. You know, we don't want kids to be in a situation that could get worse or could get scary for them. Secondly, what's even weirder is I got another case that came and this one was a separate case, completely different, but there's a lot of things that are just like clicking and and checking boxes off for me. They're giving me like these little signals that like I need to do both of these at the same time and I need to really focus on them because they're high priority. So that's all. It's just two cases, two domestic cases. Thankfully, they're both in Austin. There is a level of like urgency that we want to try to take with these two because of the, the situation with it being families, being kids. 
And I, I, I wanted to let you know, because I know like sometimes when we talk, you will start to like get vibes or get energy or get notes or things. And I wanted you to have that on your radar. So if something starts coming to you, keep me informed of that. Let me know if something's giving you any like insight or you're getting any like hints or clues. Yeah. The, the, what is urgent to you? It's, it's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So it's not like something they want to be with often. So it's like, let's get them to a place where they're not feeling uncomfortable in their homes. Urgent on the second family is more important than the first one. That's what I've been feeling. Sarah confirmed my intuition, and I knew that we needed to get over to Luna's house as soon as possible. Because I conducted my interviews over the phone and off-site already, we had no need for a preliminary investigation. This first visit, we would immediately involve Sarah and the whole team. Within less than a week, we were able to coordinate a day that worked, and my entire team was ready to try to go and help this family. At least, we thought we were. Join us next month on November 28th as this case continues to unfold in part three of this series. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Night Owl Podcast. And consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash the night owl podcast to stay up to date with our show's news and events. Stay restless out there. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, Franklin, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. Jennifer for managing our merch, Patreon, and many other irrational tasks I throw her way. My dad, Sam, for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. Mikey for his assistance editing this particular episode. Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.